For those that have been in education for some time and those that have paid attention, they know Robert Marzano is a rock star. His expertise runs deep in many areas, and in this leader chat, we were thrilled to pick his brain on leading and implementing proficiency-based systems in schools and districts. We are so lucky to have such an esteemed lineup of guests, and Dr. Marzano only elevates the bar of our leader chats. As an educational leader, if you're not impressed with this, then maybe you're impossible to impress. That's a joke. <laughs> Enjoy. Good day, leaders, educators. Uh, I, I'm, this is a special day. And the reason is, once again, because I get to talk to a rock star in education. I have this incredible job where we support leaders. And one of the things we do is we bring them content on a weekly basis. We do this via our leader chat video, which is what some of you are seeing. If you are not seeing this in video format, then we make this publicly available at a later date in a podcast form. And fortunately, our, our community gets to be um, just exposed to authors and researchers and people that we have looked up to sometimes for long periods of time and some also some newcomers with new theories and concepts in education that are just constantly exciting to learn about. I'm going to read this bio, but as soon as I mention the name, you'll know who I'm referring to because this is that kind of a person. Um, today, ladies and gentlemen, I am going to be engaging with Dr. Robert Marzano. Now, Dr. Marzano co-founded and is the CEO of Marzano Research in Colorado, leading researcher in education. He is a trainer a speaker, an author of more than 30 books and 150 articles on topics such as instruction, assessment, writing and implementation of standards, cognition, effective leadership and school intervention. His books include The Art and Science of Teaching and Effective Supervision. His practical translations of the most current research in theory in, uh, into classroom strategies are internationally known and widely practiced by both teachers and administrators. Dr. Marzano received his bachelor's degree from Iona College in New York, a master's degree from Seattle University, and a doctorate from the University of Washington. Um, and I'm also told that um, only really, really good friends and his mother get to call him Bob. So uh, I welcome Bob Marzano to the screen, to our, uh, to our leader chat, uh, Bob, I'm so thankful you're here. Um, this is this is an honor for me. Oh, my my pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, maybe just maybe just update us on you know what what did I miss in your bio or how about this? What have you been up to the last few years? I mean, we've been engaged in some very challenging times in education. What have the last few years been like for you? Uh, well, extensions from the past, I've always been interested in um, competency-based education or standards-based education. And so uh, uh, in the, the kind of the older you get, the more you can focus your, your energies. Uh, and I started teaching in 1968. So I've been doing uh, working in K-12 education for 52, 53, 53 years. Uh, so standards-based or competency-based uh, education uh, assessment is, uh, you know, classroom assessment is an important topic to me. Uh, development of students' uh, cognitive and metacognitive skills, student agency and student efficacy, 
Um, teacher evaluation is an important topic to me. So like I say, an extension from the past. And, and by that, I mean, you, you know, you work on things, you develop programs and practices, but, but then you always look back and uh, find out where they were weak and, you know, then kind of create the next version that hopefully has taken care of its weaknesses and, and built uh, on its strengths. You know, I was talking to you before we started the show about um, your name, that it is like this uh, staple in education, so to speak. And, you know, if, if I mention Marzano, people know what I'm referring to. And they know that how that aligns to uh, a lot of the things that you focused on over the years, more specifically to standards-based uh, instruction, competency-based, et cetera, what you've been focusing on most recently. But you said you started teaching in 68, you said? 1968. So, always um, vocational high school in New York City called Aviation High, high School, Long Island City. So can you walk us through kind of the, your early years in education? Because obviously you didn't start uh, as as this famous Marzano like you are now. So like what what led to some of your work? What was it that kind of began to focus you in the areas where you've become kind of known sure. as an expert? Uh, well, I, I wanted to be a high school teacher and coach, and that's what I was. Uh, it started in New York, uh, moved to Seattle, Washington, uh, taught at the high school level, coached there, enjoyed it very much. Um, uh, then, but uh, got my, then I got my master's degree, and that's when I first was introduced to the research world in education, and then went for my PhD at the University of Washington, and um, I just got hooked on the fact, on first of all, the fact that there was <laughs> research uh, that um, uh, could be applied to the classroom. Uh, it, it wasn't planned, believe me. This, you know, where I am now, I didn't plan that. Uh, like I said, I just wanted to be a high school teacher uh, and a coach. Uh, and when I got done with my PhD in 1974, kind of the next logical step was go to a university, went to the University of Colorado, enjoyed that very much. Uh, but then I was approached by a research laboratory called McCrell, great place. Um, and uh, they offered the opportunity to continue doing the research, but also work with schools directly and stayed there for 20 plus years and uh, left there and then started my own versions of, you know, uh, R&D firm. Um, like I say, nothing was planned. And, and actually, I have a lot of contemporaries, you know, who are seven, in their mid-70s like I am, and they all say the same thing. <laughs> they, it wasn't planned. You know, it was just like, oh my gosh, this opportunity come, came up, or it was just kind of the next logical thing to do. So was it when you were at McCrow that you started to kind of then focus on some of the things that you're, you're yes. still discussing today? Yeah, oh yeah, abs absolutely. And I had great leadership too. There was a, a, a Larry Hutchins was the first CEO of McCrell. Uh, and then Tim Waters, a gentleman, Tim Waters, he was a real, even though Tim's younger than I, I, I am, uh, he's retired now, but I always said that uh, uh, he was the only person I ever liked working for. <laughs> Although I, I, re I really, you know, am a good soldier. I follow directions, but I, I really enjoyed calling him boss and, uh, and learned a lot for, from Tim, a great leader. He's the one who introduced me to the concept of high, high reliability organizations. Uh, and so, uh, and though it just had a, it was ex exceptional opportunity. We, we had one of the regional educational laboratories. And so I had a chance to work in the field with, um, uh, you know, government sponsored research 
through uh, what is now IES, Institute for Educational Sciences. And so there was a real rigor that was required of what we did, but there was also a practical side too. And and I just love that. It was for me the, the best of both worlds where you really got to delve in research, uh, do research, but you were always working with, uh, you know, uh, classroom teachers, uh, building administrators and district administrators. So, you know, in, in your work with competency-based and standards-based instruction and the system that comes, I, I've, I was mentioning this to you uh, before, I've been exposed to in a number of uh, different ways in different places. Um, it just seems as though the school districts that I've uh, worked with or for or served in, they're either been further along or further behind, but always seeming to kind of search or be intrigued by it. So for example, um, when I was superintendent in the Beaverton School District, um, this was my, my second superintendency leadership position, and there was a, a very focused effort on creating a transition for students and teachers to more of a competency-based process. And I will tell you this, I'll, we ran into um, a lot of challenges doing it. Sure. There are certain things we did well, and there are certain things that were, um, and we learned as leaders the missteps that we made, um, the assumptions that we sometimes made relative to people being ready for it, um, and sometimes learned the hard way. We knew that we were chasing the right thing, but mm -hmm. um, it's definitely not easy and not seamless and sometimes misunderstood. I, I guess I'm curious, what, what have you noticed in terms of how that uh, process of leading that work has maybe changed over the years because it's it's different now of course than it was sure. 20 years yeah. ago yeah well it certainly isn't a new idea i mean i always go back john carroll 1964 was a, a great psychologist and he was one of the first to popularize the notion that why why do uh, why is it that in k-12 education uh, time is constant and learning is variable. And by that he meant, well, everybody goes to 12 years of school or 13 years of school if you start at kindergarten, you know, but when they come out, there's a massive variation in terms of what students know are able to do. And that was kind of the, the impetus of the idea. It was like, why, why can't we change that? Why can't stu students move as quickly as they possibly can? And so why does it have to be 12 years? Why can't it be 10 years? Uh, or why can't it be four, 14 years? And then there was all kinds of iterations of, well, how do you do that? And they had different names. Um, the, uh, oh my God, uh, you know, mastery learning, I think was really the first uh, attempt. And that was Benjamin Bloom's, uh, you know, brainchild. And then, but implemented by Tom Gusky. Uh, and Jim Block and Tom was, uh, uh, I, I, I'd say he was a, a Benjamin Bloom's protege and just Tom's a brilliant guy. And that, and it, great idea. It was just ahead of its time, you know, and, and then after that, there were different attempts, outcomes-based education, which got a very bad name, uh, you know, standards-based education, standards referenced. Um, so uh, every time it's come back, it's come back with the uh, knowledge of what didn't work before. So I actually think we're at a time right now where we know enough about how to do it. Uh, things are in place that weren't in place before. Standards and ways of measurement, technology as in learning management systems, uh, grading practices, 
that are, is really very doable right now. And I think the really good news is there's no one way to do it. Uh, a school or district has a lot of flexibility. Um, so, and there's a lot of common misconceptions about competency-based or standards-based. For example, you can't have an overall grade. That's not true. You can still have an overall grade and a GPA and valedictorians and salutatorians. And you can still have grade levels uh, if you wish. But there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, what, uh, leeway that schools have and districts have to create to create their own system. So now, like as I say, now we're there. You know, a school or, or district can do it. That doesn't mean it's easy to do. But even that, I think we know. Yeah, here's how long it takes: three to five years. Do this first. Don't do this. Like, don't change your report card right away. You know, and if you you do it slowly and thoughtfully, uh, you can create something that's really powerful. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm going back in my mind. And like I said, some of the missteps that that we took, we would do differently now. Um, but sure. this is, you know, a number of years ago that um, and I, I can't imagine. Is, was it frustrating over those kind of trends and maybe misunderstandings in terms of how things are labeled? Right. Semantics make a difference. And so was that frustrating sometimes to watch that you knew the core concept? but to be to see it misunderstood over and over that of course affects implementation was that sure. a constant frustration for you uh, i'm not sure if i use a frustration that's just the name of the game when you're trying to make change in any large-scale institution especially education because i mean it permeates our society everybody's affected by it even when you get out, your kids, your grandkids. So everybody has a stake in it and everybody wants it to be the best possible. Um, it's very difficult, you know, to make changes, particularly in things that people are used to, you know, GPAs and uh, omnibus grades. Um, and so when you have a version of competency-based education that does that, you're, you're, that, that's a, that's going to be tough sledding. Uh, it, it, it really is. And I think that uh, if you're trying to make substantive, substantive change, uh, even if you don't realize it going in, you soon find out that there's going to be resistance, there's going to be mistakes, uh, there's going to be a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, but, but, you, but, you, but you just have to keep at it. And I forgot who said it. Uh, it certainly wasn't me, uh, because I think it's brilliant. Uh, it goes something like, you know, uh, even the greatest idea takes about two decades, you know, to implement in a system. And that's about right. <laughs> it's going to take a long, long time. Um, uh, and I, that, that just, you know, comes with the turf. If, you know, if you don't like the heat, stay out of the kitchen type of thing. It's just going to happen. It's a, well, you, I know you still work with schools and systems all the time. And, yes. you know, you have these um, frameworks, I thought maybe you could kind of just briefly describe for us that I think are always really interesting, the high reliability um, sure. schools framework, and then the art yes. and science of teaching framework. Can you, yes. can you kind of break those down for us a little bit? Yeah, yeah, the high reliability schools uh, framework. I, as I mentioned, it was Tim Waters who introduced me to the concept of a high reliability organization, and that's been around for a long time. Um, and I found that fascinating. And just in brief, a high reliability organization, uh, exemplars of high reliability organizations are organizations that really they really can't afford to fail because when they fail, 
it's big time problems occur. And like air traffic control, that makes sense. Like the power grid, the military works that way. You know, a lot of organizations do. And uh, uh, and it's not that they don't fail, uh, but they know exactly what to look for. Uh, and that re- those things that represent you know success in whatever they're in Denver endeavor. What endeavor, um, uh, and they monitor those, uh, and they forecast problems and pat themselves in the back when when things are going well. But it hadn't been applied well or at all at the, in those days to to education. So that's where we came up with the, our framework, you know. But uh, anybody, any school or district could create its own high reliability framework. Uh, really, they would have to identify what they consider are the essential, the, uh, the, the, the fulcrum points that, you know, it's, if you do this well and this well and this well and this well, then you're going to get the results you want. And they will know, they'll, uh, they will have identified leading indicators, programs and practices, you know, that are in place. Those are the leading indicators. More importantly, they have lagging indicators. They know the metrics you know, uh, that indicate whether those programs and practices are working and they constantly monitor those. Uh, and like I say, a school or district could create its own. Now, what we added to the mix of that conversation is we said, well, here's our version of what those indicators are. And we have five levels of indicators. Uh, level one is um, uh, safe, supported and supportive and collaborative environment. Nothing new to anybody. We just identified programs and practices in that. Level two is effective teaching uh, in every classroom. Level three is a guaranteed and viable curriculum. Level four is standards referenced uh, schooling. And level five is uh, standards-based uh, uh, schooling. That's just our version of the, the indicators that a, that a school should, should look, look at. Uh, one thing I've always done is uh, it, it, it takes about five years to develop something, at least for me, because you really have to get grounded in what does the literature say, what does the research say. You have to develop your own version of it and then try that out, you know, realizing that, uh, you know, you're going to make mistakes in the beginning. So by usually about fifth year out, you can say, okay, this, this works well enough that we feel comfortable saying, you know, this is something you might do. And I've always written books. And the reason uh, that I've done that is, uh, is so uh, it's available. Like with, uh, HR, with HRS model, uh, the book, uh, Leading a High Reliability School, you know, a school could just pick that up, you know, and create their own version. Um, uh, so anyway, there's, that's, a, that's a framework for, you know, a school effectiveness, if, if you will. Uh, art and science of teaching, it was the same thing with instruction. I just, and they all started with meta-analyses you know, looking at what does the research say, organizing those, you know, into you know, discrete, uh, you know, small units, uh, turning that into how would you get someone better at this if they wanted to do it, and then turning that, that into a framework. And that's always been the, that's always hmm. been the model, I mean, the uh, development process. So as, as, as we've talked about, and I think you know that, you know, our community of, of leaders, we have a model where, you know, we're supporting leaders by creating yep. this uh, connective tissue so that they can help one another. So yeah, sounds great. as you look at, um, you know, from a leadership perspective, some of those uh, key levers that, you know, you should use to influence um, politically and navigate the enormous, it's, it's like this enormous shift from a traditional system 
to a competency based. What, what are some of those key levers that you see from a leadership perspective to help transition a system? What, what have you learned and what have you probably witnessed just watching great leaders in the sure. field? Well, I think there are two areas of leadership. Now, this comes from someone who's never been a superintendent. You couldn't pay me enough money to be a superintendent. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, what a job. I mean, it's really, really difficult. There's the people component, uh, for sure. You know, and uh, that you have to take care of the people within the system. And by take care, what I mean is acknowledge them, recognize I'm, you know, I'm an old Maslowian. I really am. I love, I think that was one of the most significant pieces of re, uh, psych, psychological research ever. And Maslow created his hierarchy in 1943, three yeah. years before I was born. I mean, that's amazing. It is amazing. That, and, uh, and that it still is relevant today. And so I, uh, I, I think the highly effective leaders, whether they know that, think in terms of those levels, do it or not. I mean, if you remember, first is a physiological comfort, uh, physical safety, uh, and you know, all businesses do that, all schools do that in the United States. But then it's a sense of esteem. So a good leader is making sure that everybody, excuse me, a sense of belonging. They feel like that, hey, this community welcomes you. Next is the sense of esteem within that community. They give them ways, you know, to be recognized for what they do. Uh, uh, next is um, uh, self-actualization, that as they do their work in the school or district, they're doing things that feel like they're becoming better, you know, at who they are. Uh, that uh, they're actually growing, you know, as people, and what, which means they're learning new skills and they're learning new new content. And then the highest level is connection to something greater than self. And he, he called that transit, transcendence. And he actually added that on uh, years later, where they have to feel they feel like they're doing something that's bigger than just them, you know, sure. and maybe even bigger than just uh, this is school. So there's the people part that a, a, a good leader. Uh, attends to, you know, incredible. That's like I say, uh, but but then there's the content part, uh, and with anything as comprehensive as competency-based or standards-based education, you have to really know the content, um, and uh, and and uh, and forecast problems even before day one, and have answers to questions that'll inevitably come up, even though the actual answers you propose might be different from the ones you thought were going to be the answers in the be beginning. So I think that's the biggest guy. I'm sure people who are superintendents as yourself, they, they've, uh, I don't, I don't tell you could last as a superintendent with have with not having mastered the people skills. So I think you all have that. Uh, but what I, then I'd counsel, okay, really dig into what do we know about competency base and standards base, you know, and, and realize the questions that'll come up, like grading, you know, and have an initial answer to that, you know, or at least at least considerations. And I think uh, doing that homework uh, ahead of time. I think you know, ten years ago, we just it was kind of like, well, let's give it a try, you know. <laughs> well, you, they, boy, you're going to hit a buzzsaw on this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can I can show you some scars. Um, yeah, I'm sure you can. So here's here's the question, I guess that. As, as, as leaders, you would hope that we're humble enough and focused enough to learn from mistakes um, and, you know, missteps along the way. What are some of the, um, some of the cardinal missteps or, you know, uh, mistakes that are made from a leadership perspective, whether that's a district level or a school level? I mean, you know, they're, they're all systems. It's just different size and structures and complexity of systems. But 
What do you notice that sometimes uh, seems to get a mistake that gets made or a misstep over and over that if we could correct, we maybe would make more progress faster? Are you talking about competency-based education now? Yes, like how to, how to integrate a competency-based system. Um, yeah. What have you noticed that sometimes just some people just seem to make over and over? that you could fix yeah. if you could. Okay. No, no, uh, yeah, good question. I already mentioned, first one is grades. You gotta really think through that. Uh, and a common mistake is to just use a, you know, a scoring like one, two, three, four, and say, we're not gonna have, you know, overall grades anywhere, omnibus grades. Uh, you don't have to do that. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not defending, you know, the ABCDF, I mean, that was arbitrary, uh, uh, the, you know, uh, and, and had a really interesting beginning and uh, in, you know, kind of how, how, how it evolved. But it's so ingrained in our society that to just jettison that as kind of uh, one of the hallmarks of your system, it's, you know, you, you don't have to. So it's a, it's a, and even if you wanted to do that, and I, there are some really great systems that don't have overall letter grades. Uh, the... Uh, uh, you don't start that way. Um, so I think that, you know, addressing that and doing it slowly and thoughtfully, but the good news is we know a lot of different ways of doing that. The other is um, uh, uh, how do you have students working at different levels? As students at the same age or grade level, how do you have them working on different levels of content? A big mistake is just to assume that the classroom teacher is going to do that. See, the system has to do that. So uh, to say, okay, we're going to be competency-based and you, fifth grade teacher, Bob Marzano, you know, you're going to have, you know, students who are uh, at the third grade level of math, fourth grade, fifth and sixth grade and deal with them all. It, you can't, they can't do it. The system has to be set up such that, that, uh, that uh, once you know a student is ready to move to another level, they actually go to another teacher. And that, that's a really big shift because now it's not one teacher for students the entire year. Um, but again, there's a lot, of, a lot of ways to do that. My, my first year in teaching, my first year, um, teaching a fourth and fifth grade blended class. This is uh, in just outside of Portland, Oregon. And um, fortunately, the team of teachers, and there was, um, I was the eighth to the team. So there was eight teachers teaching fourth and fifth grade blended class. They had already done the work over years on aligning um, the units of study so that we were assessing students along the way and then mixing and matching constantly based yeah, upon right. their needs. And so yeah. they had a system and a structure. And so they introduced me to it. And I said, thank you very much, but I'm not interested. I got this on my own. I, um, I was a new teacher. Uh, I was excited, competitive, and believed that I had it and had the ability to navigate this new math curriculum with these new students my first year, and I would be fine. Um, about six weeks in, I was struggling, struggling mightily, and they were probably appreciating watching me struggle, these other teachers. And eventually, I had to come to them and get on a knee, humble myself, and say, um, I was definitely wrong. I need to be part of this structure because what y'all are doing in comparison to what I'm able to do is night and day. And it was yeah. my first introduction to a system 
that was created by a group of educators that allowed us to focus on the needs of students, aligns to skills that they either attained or needed to, and it was fluid. It was really a beautiful picture. It was just so odd that I was um, unwilling to dive in. Um, but that was my that was my first of many mistakes. Uh, so I'm I'm fortunate to be very very flawed because I learn a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So um, now I guess I'm I, I, as a leader, it used to drive me uh, a bit bananas. I wanted all of my classrooms to be great, and I wanted all of my schools to be great. And pockets of excellence would always pop up that were um, inspirational on one hand and frustrating on the others because I wanted consistent greatness. I had a mentor once settle me down and say, listen, um, if you, rather than being frustrated, if you are, you only use that as learning opportunities to help the other schools. If you take a pocket of greatness and focus on how they do it and help spread that as opposed to just being angry that the others aren't catching up, you'd be a more effective leader. What, what, what are you learning from all the pockets of excellence happening? I mean, I know that you coach and support schools and leaders. You must witness some incredible work happening out there. What, what do you get to learn from just amazing leaders and educators that maybe other people aren't exposed to? Uh, well, like yourself there, I, you know, I've had a chance to meet just incredible people. I mean, just powerful, not only bright, but dedicated, you know, a massive amount of energy. And uh, and regardless of the circumstances, they're going to make things work really well. But actually, what I've the kind of one of the biggest conclusions I've come to is the system itself has built in constraints, you know, that make it very difficult, uh, you know, for those people whom I mentioned, they're going to make it work and they're going to produce incredible results in, in, in whatever way you, you, you want to measure that. But that, that what we need to do is actually change the system. Uh, and that will, will a system uh, uh, that, that a system where you don't have to be great to have really good results with students. And I know that sounds kind of contradictory or a little nuts. No, no, just see, keep going because I want to hear more about that because I, I know what you well, mean, but I want to hear about it. Well, I think, I, I, just think about it. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's kind of an unrealistic expectation uh, that uh, every teacher, even the ones who are the first year, to handle all of the diversity within a single classroom all by themselves, you know, uh, why, you know, uh, and, and the act of teaching uh, uh, in, in requires so much competence in so many different areas. Just, just the act of teaching something. It's um, uh, you generally accepted that there's kind of three types of lessons that will occur in a classroom. One is the introductory, usually involving direct instruction. Uh, another is they've had it and now they're going to practice or deepen their knowledge. And then the third type of lesson is going to uh, apply their knowledge in, in some way. Those are very different types of lessons. Um, and the first one, the introductory slash kind of direct instruction part, is the hardest to do. Uh, it's really critical that, is that those first few lessons when you're introducing the concepts, given the kind of the big schema for it, uh, those are really critical and take, you really have to know the content and be a master at putting that together. 
why do we expect a first year teacher or even a fifth year teacher to be excellent at that? You know, uh, when across the hall, there might be, a, you know, a journeyman two decade teacher, you know, who really is an expert at that. So uh, for me, part of creating a system that would, uh, you know, break down that ridiculous requirement that teachers from day one can do all this stuff, you know, why not you know, parse that out a little bit? Why not have your best teachers at introducing new content do the introducing? And they used to do it. There was a model years ago in Melbourne, Melbourne High School in Florida, I think. I mean, this is like 30, 40 years ago, um, where they had differentiated instruction. And there were teachers, uh, and one of the primary tasks was to handle large groups. So there, well, not everybody got a chance to stand up and you know, introduce content. And in those days, we didn't have the technology. So what they did is, you know, all the students would come into the auditorium and those teachers would give the incredibly well-crafted lecture, you know, on the content or whatever. They didn't use lecture, something else. Well, now we have technology uh, to do that. Um, and uh, it was just, it was Arnie Duncan, past Secretary of Education, who just a few months ago, uh, I heard him interviewed, I forgot what, what yeah, I think he was on all the channels, but he was recommending just that. He said, you know, why does everybody have to introduce fifth grade mathematics topics? Uh, I'm not sure if that was his exact, uh, his exact example, but he said, why don't we get the, you know, the, you know, you know, 1000 best teachers are doing that in the country and have them introduce it virtually and make that available to, to, you know, to all teachers, all, what do we got? Three point something million yeah. teachers in the country. Yeah, that, and I like that. Those are the things that will then get the expectations down to something that are reasonable. And now as a teacher progresses, you know, through their career, uh, first of all, they don't walk into this, you know, you know, windstorm of all this stuff that they have to do and be great at all, great at all of it. That's why I think so that for me, the biggest realization is we have things built into the system. And so we're unknowingly, unwittingly, and I think unknowingly, you know, making it really, really difficult for um, uh, excellence in all classrooms. Uh, when, uh, when if we change the system a bit, uh, you know, that could uh, that could be facilitated. And and I, I you know, the the notion of it's my this is my fifth grade math class. You know, leave me alone for 180 days. Why? Why? <laughs> yeah. Why? It takes a village. Why can't why can't take a village of math teachers to teach fifth grade math? Why not? Why not do that? Well, you know, part of part of our system um, in kind of our leadership circle is that, you know, we say circles are better than rows and yeah. um, the sit and get method does not work as it relates to, um, you know, the teaching and learning, especially even with adults. We know it's not great for kids. Why do we do it for leaders? So. My, my, my last question that I'll ask you is if you, you were to imagine we're actually at a big round table surrounded by system leaders, whether that's a superintendent or somebody in charge of instruction or even on the, somebody on the operational side of the house um, for a system, what would be kind of your, you know, brass tacks, pragmatic advice for them right now based upon the discussion we're having? If you were to say, like, this is what I would like to leave you with. Okay, it'll be short because I think I already said it. Um, and that is uh, know your people and be a master, you know, at uh, supporting uh, uh, um, and, and motivating, I'd say inspiring people. 
uh, and know your system and uh, and the changes that you want to make in that system and really, really do your homework there. Um, I guess the third one would be as much as possible, stay at the same job. <laughs> <laughs> really, the turnover at the superintendency level uh, 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 just creates a lot of havoc. It really does. It, um, uh, and I, I, I think that hurts quite a bit. And as I said, you couldn't pay me enough money to be a superintendent. I think it's probably one of the hardest jobs in the world. Uh, but I think it really hurts when there's not consistency, particularly when a new leader comes in. And sometimes they're under a mandate to change things or get the yeah. budget in order. I really do do uh, uh, understand that. And unfortunately, that churn of leader at the top is, is these days um, starting to slip down to the school level, right? We're seeing higher level of churn and turnover of school principals um, that makes me worry as well. Um, which once again, to your point, we need to have a system and a structure that is, you know, uh, uh, caring and sensitive to the needs of not just teachers, but leaders as well. Um, and, you know, bottom line is, I, I just want to say uh, thank you. you. You make my job uh, so wonderful to be able to talk to people like you. Bob Marzano, um, I wouldn't have dreamed years ago that I was going to be able to have this discussion with somebody who I know I will embarrass you, is a legend and is a staple in this world of teaching and learning. And I just know that I and many others appreciate you so much. Thank you. That's very kind. That means a lot to me, Jeff. All right. Thanks. Well, Bob, you take care. And, um, and once again, thank you. Thank Ladies you. and gentlemen, Bob Marzano. Um, so like you uh, or like me, you've probably heard him speak a number of times because, you know, he he's, has that kind of a draw. You've probably read his materials or discussed competency-based, standards-based, a variety of his frameworks. Um, so what a pleasure that we were able to chat with him. Um, in the meantime, educators, uh, thank you for all that you do. Leaders, thank you for all that you do. This is noble work, and we appreciate the impact that you are having on students and communities. Everyone, be well.